This episode is hosted by Lee Atchison. Lee Atchison is a software architect, author, and thought leader on cloud computing and application modernization. His most recent book, Architecting for Scale, is an essential resource for technical teams looking to maintain high availability and manage risk in their cloud environments. Lee is the host of his podcast, Modern Digital Business, an engaging and informative podcast produced for people looking to build and grow their digital business with the help of modern applications and processes developed for today's fast-moving business environment. Subscribe at mdb.fm and follow Lee at leeatchison.com. Enterprise-grade authentication is often an essential ingredient to virtually all applications in today's world. However, companies often have a hard time understanding the value of that authentication, especially during the early stages of product development, and the hardening of an application is often left as an afterthought. Add enterprise-level requirements such as single sign-on and two-factor authentication, and other requirements that the once afterthought becomes are now major issues, delaying launch schedules and new feature launches. WorkOS is dramatically shortening this development time by providing tools to allow in integrating complex enterprise standards with just a few lines of code, allowing developers to focus on core products and features. Michael Greenwich is the CEO of WorkOS and is my guest today. Hello, Michael, and welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks so much for having me, Lee. It seems that the bread and butter of your company, the customer, the main customer of your company is is the SaaS company that starts out small and grows to the point where they now need to have enterprise capabilities in order to attract larger customers to their product offerings. So if that's the case, talk to me about what it means for a web application to add enterprise-ready features to their application. Yeah, absolutely. So we typically work with companies who are kind of post-product market fit, meaning they've launched their initial product, they've brought it to market, they've started getting some initial users and started growing, but they're ready to really move up market and sell to bigger organizations. And that could be, you know, selling a team of say a hundred people. And when you do that, when you actually look to move up market, typically there's an IT department or some procurement process you go through. And that's the first time a lot of these companies start experiencing the need to have some kind of enterprise features or becoming enterprise ready. Sometimes we call this the enterprise chasm. You have to cross this in order to sell into these organizations. And so that's the moment where they begin to start having this need. But we've seen companies, you know, even much later down the line that still need to keep adding these features to their products. And it gets more and more complicated and kind of more sophisticated as you grow. So that's just the starting point. But we end up working with companies, you know, that are much larger as well. Yeah, it's an interesting side effect that, you know, doing authentication is the first thing in building a product is easy to do or relatively easy to do. But it's never thought of first. It's always thought of later. And especially adding enterprise capabilities like SSO, et cetera, it can be really daunting for companies that are are selling, have customers, want to make a living, but now need to focus on these enterprise features. Now, SSO is a classic example of an enterprise feature, but what are some other examples of of capabilities that companies often have to add that aren't directly SSO, but there's something that's considered enterprise ready. Yeah. So SSO is definitely the first one. You know, if you think about what every app needs, it first of all needs to know who you are. 
in order to use it. And we're talking web apps, you know, uh, through the browser that you're using. The second thing that's really common actually is that all apps today are really multiplayer. If you think about products like Figma or Google Docs or Dropbox or just kind of modern SaaS tools, they're all about teams of people working together in groups. And so a very common second feature that companies will need is some way to integrate with the directory systems of those companies and and plug into the, the kind of group management system. And we have a feature around that called directory sync. There's a protocol called SCIM, S-C-I-M, which is kind of like SAML, getting the weeds a little bit there. But essentially what it lets you do is provision users and deprovision users and really have your application be aware of the organization and group structure of that company. And that lets you build these like rich multiplayer experiences. Beyond that, there's a lot of other stuff. There's stuff around audit logging and access control and compliance features and really quite a long list of different capabilities. But the first ones that people really get started with are those pieces around enterprise authentication and related pieces around user management. And these take time for companies to build on their own. And that's really where your value comes in. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And the shape of the work, you can almost think about it as integration work. So people often compare WorkOS to something like Twilio or even Plaid, where those platforms allow you to plug in once and integrate with all the different you know, telephony systems out there, or in the case of Plaid, all the different financial institutions. WorkOS, you plug into it once, and it's not just giving you single sign-on as a feature. It's also plugging your app into all the different enterprise identity systems like Okta and OneLogin and Active Directory. And in the case of Directory Sync, it's plugging it into Workday and Bamboo HR and Rippling and all these HR systems. So WorkOS acts as this sort of aggregation layer across all these different fragmented services. And the effect that it has for a developer is you just plug it in once and you're kind of done. You don't have to think about it anymore and it just works out of the box. And developers can go build the features that they probably are more excited to build, which are the unique features for actually their product or, or their app that they're creating. So you don't see yourself as a better Okta or a better one login. You really see yourself as an integrator of those tools. And so customers still want Okta or they still want Auth0 or whatever capability they're looking for or Bamboo HR for their directory. They don't have to change to use you. They continue to use those existing tools, but you provide that isolation between the application and those tools. We're like the other piece of the puzzle. So we don't replace Okta or replace Workday or Bamboo HR, these systems. What we really do is help developers plug into all of those different environments and ecosystems. In WorkOS, we don't really sell to IT departments. You know, IT departments are typically the ones buying Okta. We sell to the developers building products, having to plug into them. So it's kind of like saying, you know, is Stripe competitive with Visa? It's like, well, not really, actually. That's one of their yeah. tightest integrations. It's just a different side of the, the puzzle piece. You wouldn't call yourself an authentication company. You'd call yourself a tool set company. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how does someone actually integrate with WorkOS? What are the requirements to use WorkOS? You, you said, first of all, web app versus standalone app. I, I get that. But what frameworks do you support? What languages do you support? What's involved in, in the integration without getting into too much of the weeds anyway? Yeah, we support a ton of different stuff. Pretty much however you've built your app, whether it's a legacy application or a brand new modern you know, serverless Node.js app or something on the bleeding edge, we support it all. We make it really, really easy to plug in. Essentially, the interface that a developer has, we make really, really simple with just like a modern connection. So in the case of SSO, instead of needing to learn SAML 2.0 and OpenID Connect and all these legacy protocols, it's just OAuth. If you've ever built 
like a Facebook login, you know, where it's just a few lines of code, that's the integration with WorkOS. So we've taken essentially all this legacy complex interfaces and, and complex old, really archaic protocols and put a layer on top that matches the way modern developers think about building products. So a modern developer who's been like building a web app, if you just go check out the WorkOS docs, it's just going to feel like you're right at home. And we have SDKs for everything under the sun from like Python to Ruby to Node to PHP, Elixir, you know, it's, it's, it's got it all. <laughs> all the modern frameworks, all the modern That's languages. Right. And your history, you started out as a Rails app. Is that correct? Is that what your early history was, was in Rails? I, I know you're, you use Heroku and there was a tight integration with Rails back in the olden days anyway. Uh, WorkOS is actually not a Rails app. We do run a bunch of stuff on Heroku or historically have. We are actually a Node.js app and we use TypeScript across the whole company, across the whole stack. And so oh, nice. early on, nice. so three, four years ago, decided that we wanted to have one language for the whole company. And so engineers are able actually really to work full stack with one tool set and one system. So we run you know, a Node on the back end and then we're running in the browser in the front end. Cool, cool. So let's talk a little bit about multi-factor authentication. And now there's been concerns in recent years about the security of using SMS, you know, getting pages on your phone as a platform for multi-factor authentication. You log in, it says enter the code that was sent to your phone, you type that code in and, and you're in. You know, early on that was considered a really good, valuable, valid way of doing multi-factor authentication. But it's kind of starting to fall out of favor when you start hearing about phone spoofing and other techniques that really have made it less secure. You know, certainly things like one-time passcodes, OTPs, they seem like a decent replacement for using SMS messages. But yet you still see all these applications that focus on SMS as the way of doing multi-factor. First of all, can you, you know, do you know why that is or where do you think the industry actually is heading in this respect? You know, it's a great question. So SMS multi-factor authentication has been really successful. If you go back years, just in terms of preventing phishing attacks and spoofing and other issues, it's, it's been a, a huge win for just like consumer security globally and, and consumer products, whether that's, you know, logging into Gmail or buying something on eBay being able to have a second factor of authentication has really helped secure the web. So I don't want to like kind of talk too down on something like that because it's it's done really well. Multi-factor authentication really, you know, if you break it down into its pieces, really what it means is there's two pieces to it, at least. Something you know, which is in most cases your password, and then something you have, which is a device. And SMS is really that thing that you have. And so you enroll a device, typically a cell phone, you get that SMS that gives you a code and you can prove that you have that device, right? That's how, and you combine those two things together. Those are the two factors. Boom, you got multi-factor auth. SMS as a transport mechanism is not super secure. There's a lot of different ways that phone numbers get transferred. The actual SMS protocol and sending actual text messages is like not the most secure thing in the world. It started off as a hack years ago on top of this like uptime telemetry thing that the telecoms have. So it never really was built to be a secure transport mechanism. And there's unfortunately been a lot of hacks where people have taken over SMS transport and hacked into people's Bitcoin wallets and things like that. And what that's really trying to do at that point is prove that you have something. So we're using SMS to contact a device that you have, your phone, to prove that you have that. Today, there's many other options for that. So people have seen the TOTP, time-based one-time passcode, 
auth flows. Most people have seen that with that QR code that you scan, and then you have an app that gives you a six-digit code. That way, there's no transport ever being sent. There's no SMS being sent. Your device just generates codes. Every 60 seconds, it'll generate a new one. And so you can prove that you have that physical device itself. And there's software versions of this, like 1Password has a virtual TOTP device, and there's Google Authenticator and all these other products. And so I think what we're seeing is like a change from needing to use SMS as this transport mechanism to verify the device to now having these, you know, hardware or virtual based, you know, devices that prove that you have something. And the last place that we're going with this, which is really exciting, is, is the world of WebAuthn. So WebAuthn is, is essentially a browser protocol that allows you to communicate with hardware security devices like a YubiKey or really any device that connects over the FIDO kind of alliance of different products. So this is like Touch ID or like Face ID on a phone. Apple's been pushing forward a bunch of stuff around this as well. And so it's just really encouraging to see like a lot of new types of devices available to do multi-factor auth. And I think with these things, especially as it becomes easier for consumers to set it, set it up, we're going to see people moving to it for more secure scenarios. I think even today you can set up like your Facebook login with a YubiKey or your Twitter login with a YubiKey. But at the end of the day, having multi-factor auth is still so powerful that if all you can add is an SMS passcode, it's really better than nothing. I always encourage people to set it up. WorkOS, we have a product around multi-factor auth. We support both SMS and also TOTP and other protocols. So it's moving in the right direction, but you know, there's still a lot more to do. Yeah. And by the way, I want to reiterate what you said. Uh, SMS, even if it isn't perfectly secure, it's 100,000 times better than not using anything. Totally. So I, I 100% agree with you. I have lots of websites that I am connected to that I use SMS for uh, you know, my third-party authentication. I move them all to the time-based, the TOTP, when I'm able to, but not every site supports it yet. So that's why you, you still see a lot of SMS authentication. I'm just wondering from a company standpoint, do you see companies converting as well? Or do you see them, you know, every consumer has a cell phone. Not every consumer has the Google authentication app or want to get another app or want to deal with that. So do you see that as part of the reason why, especially, you know, consumer-based companies are not moving to the OTP model? I think it's part of it. And part of it is just the threat model and what's, you know, subject to this access. So you know, every consumer doesn't have like a Yubi key, you know, a hardware security key that can generate cryptographic yeah. codes. That's that's pretty unusual. <laughs> I mean, yeah. probably your friends and my friends have them, but, you know, most people in the world don't have these. And so when you're just trying to authenticate, say, I don't know, your Amazon account, where the worst case is someone could log in and, you know, buy some shoes and it gets flipped for fraud, that's one thing. And so probably SMS two-factor off in that scenario is okay. But in a scenario where, for example you're authenticating access to a production database. You definitely want to put that behind a different type of authentication. And I think that's why you see companies adopting, you know, hardware security systems, YubiKeys, other types of like FIDO compliant keys in order to have that really increased level of authentication where it can't be spoofed. The downside of that stuff is it's a little bit harder to recover. You know, if you lose that thing or it's destroyed, there's no real way to have account recovery. But also in the case of teams and companies, you usually have some type of administrator who can reset these things. And so that's what you'll see is right. the identity right. systems, whether it's you know Okta or Azure AD or other identity providers for enterprise organizations. There's a lot of sophisticated tools that give IT admins the ability to reset or push new keys into these products. So it's more of kind of like a managed identity service, whereas on the consumer side for individuals, 
you know, you got to kind of keep your own security. You got to take care of it yourself. And that's, that can be a little bit more challenging for people. Valid point. I, I always tell people that I live and die by one password. That is my favorite tool of all time. I love one password too. Huge fan. Yeah. They've yeah, done a great job. It generates job. my passwords for me. I do OTP built in and being able to cloud sync that across multiple devices. So I don't have to worry about if I, if my cell phone changes, I have to go through and reset all my OTP passwords yep. everywhere. It just all works. And I really, I love mean, that. it's, it's such an incredible achievement that they took something so complex and have made it so simple and easy to use. I think that's uh, I totally agree. One password is a great feat of product design and engineering. Definitely recommend people use it. We use it too. Absolutely. Great. Great. Now you mentioned web authn. Now is that related to this new trend you hear nowadays about passwordless access and systems that have not a matter of tools like one password that store the password for you, but systems that remove the password and use other authentication mechanisms, usually in browser cookies or other things like that to do that. Is that part of web authn or is are those two different things? I think it's sort of part of it. <laughs> That's a really good question. You know, the word passwordless kind of doesn't, it means everything and nothing at the same time. When I've seen most people using it, they're often using it to describe the authentication flow of going through and putting in an email address and getting like a magic link sign in, or sometimes getting a code that gets texted to them for their their SMS and they sign in with that. Ah, and so I okay. think it was like, like Snapchat originally didn't have passwords. You would just put in your phone number, it would text you a code, and then you would sign in. And so it worked really well for this like consumer login experience. Similarly, things like Magic Link, which is this experience where you put in your email address, it emails you a link, you click it, that logs you in, that creates the session, and you're into the web app. That's really good for things like e-commerce or... You know, if you think of, I don't know, like you bought a book from a publisher years ago, you can't remember your account. You don't have to want to have to create a new password for that. Just email me the link. It's a lot less popular in the enterprise and within business contexts. And it sort of makes sense if you think about it. If, if you think about what's the thing that all the IT admins tell you about links and emails? They're like, don't click the link. <laughs> don't click the right. weird link that's come through an email. You know, log in through another mechanism. And so I think magic link and this idea of passwordless login through enterprise systems actually goes against what IT admins are looking for in terms of managed security. In those scenarios, they want to have it centralized behind a single identity provider. So it really is a single password. And that's why people adopt products like Okta, OneLogin, you know, Ping Identity. There's a lot of different identity solutions. Even Google Login. Think about like the sign in with Google button. In a way, that's sort of like a password login experience, passwordless, because you only have one password you're putting in. So I think that term is kind of conflated, but it seems to be more popular for like consumer type of products, B2C products versus, you know, more like B2B products that you might use in the workplace. Right, right, right. Yeah, I think I've seen it recently used in some techniques involving long-term cookie storage. And essentially, it's much like the, you know, the, the logged in session, but this is for login credentials as well. And it's a private key mechanism from what I understand, but I don't remember all the details, but I, I wasn't sure if that was related to web authn or not. I think they're separate. You could do it through web authn, you know, with a, a hardware security key. And there's also like browser certificates you can do authentication through like Kerberos and other systems. But most people are talking about magic link, I think when they say passwordless. Probably. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. You know, we've talked about authentication and a lot of people I talk to confuse authentication and authorization. And to our listeners, when I talk about authentication, that's the ability to prove to me that you are who you say you are. That's what authentication is. And authorization is, you know, do you 
you person who are now authenticated, do you have permission to do this particular task in this app or not? So WorkOS provides really solid authentication capabilities through your partnerships and the security requirements around them. And that's where things like OTP and SMS fit into all of that. But what about authorization? Do you have any systems that help you with the authorization side of the puzzle? Or is that a direction you're headed? Or do you already have capabilities there? This is such a great question. I love talking about this stuff. So yeah, authentication versus authorization. People confuse it all the time when I talk to them as well. You'll sometimes see this abbreviated as people writing auth N to being authentication versus auth Z to be about authorization. And authorization is really like, do you have access to something? It gets even more confusing because the way that most people experience this from a consumer side is it happens at the same time. So if you think about like, say, logging into an app with Facebook Connect, you know, your Facebook identity, say you're going to log into like Airbnb with your Facebook account. So first of all, it does authentication where Airbnb can say you are who you say you are, you know, you are Lee. Okay, this is your Airbnb account. But then also in that same flow, Facebook will say, do you want Airbnb to have access to your profile photo, your friends list, you know, your email address? And in that scenario, you're actually doing an authorization grant. You're giving them an entitlement to access this type of data. And it's very common that both happen at the same time in consumer products. But it's worth saying that there are two different things. You can authenticate someone but not authorize access to different things. Today, WorkOS mostly focuses on authentication, enterprise SSO authentication, where you're connecting through something like Okta, you're signing in. Well, really what we're allowing developers to do is to add enterprise auth for their customers to sign in. But then who gets access to what? That's sort of left as an exercise to the reader. Because we don't know, say in the case of a company like Webflow, one of our customers, a user might sign in and we don't know if they should have editing permissions or not. That group is actually, and that permission set is actually set inside of Webflow. One thing people do actually do with WorkOS is they will pull membership from different groups and then assign permissions to those groups and assign roles to those groups. And so you might say like, hey, if you're you know, inside the, like Vercel is another one of our, our customers. Maybe if you're using Vercel and you're connected in this right way with groups and permissions, people in the engineering group can have access to push code and change stuff, but maybe everyone else can only view stuff. You can only view pre- preview deploys. And so we give people the kind of primitives for actually building authorization into their app and the data connectors. But today we don't provide authorization layer on top. And there's a bunch of different open source projects and different ways people have been exploring different ways to do authorization that are out there. It's kind of every week on Hacker News, there's almost another one. You can essentially use WorkOS with any of these things. You can plug it in and it works pretty well. Cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting that you, you know, if you want to get into a philosophical discussion, which we really shouldn't be here, but <laughs> I know, is group <laughs> capabilities authentication or authorization? But if we we don't need to spend any time. You kind of need to do both together. Yeah. It's sort of, it's like peanut butter and jelly, you know, they taste pretty good together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly the case. So where is the world of security and authentication and authorization and all the things that go with that? Where is that headed in the industry? That's a great question. Well, I think for the companies we work with, you know, these startups growing up market, we're trying to help them become enterprise ready and grow we're really trying to just help them accelerate their roadmap. And so a lot of what we provide is not like novel technology in the sense of the bleeding edge of where the world is going. We're helping them just get the features into their app that all the people in IT 
need. And these are the same features that like Slack built inside of Slack Enterprise and Dropbox built and Dropbox Enterprise and you know Asana has an Asana Enterprise. We're helping companies like Webflow and Vercel and you know Airbase and companies like that do it. So I would say we build like infrastructure that's somewhat already needed versus being on the bleeding edge. So I'm personally not working on this stuff. I think probably what we're going to see is there's really two dimensions of this. One in enterprise authentication, companies are just using more and more apps constantly. Like if you look at the rise of number of SaaS products that an organization uses, it has just exploded in the last two or three years, especially due to COVID. The tools that people use in order to like collaborate, communicate in a fully remote or hybrid remote setting, you just need more tools. And this has put additional burden on IT teams and coordination around not just buying these, but setting them up to be secure. And so that's why, you know, Okta has done really well as a bunch of other identity products to help secure it. But we're seeing the increase in provisioning and deprovisioning and other capabilities needed in different compliance features. And I think that's going to keep growing to be the case, you know, in big enterprise and kind of medium enterprise companies. On the consumer side, it's a little bit different. Like people are spending more time online, buying more stuff online. Our online identities are more and more important to keep secure. And there's more threats out there in terms of, you know, if there's more stuff about you online, you can do more stuff about you online. You need to secure that. And so that's why we're seeing companies like Google and, and Apple like collaborate on new ways to provide authentication fundamentals and primitives. Like Face ID was a big thing for this. And Apple literally just announced in the last few weeks some new browser APIs that are coming out on iOS that seem pretty powerful and some new passwordless authentication stuff. But, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm sort of less on the consumer side and more in the infrastructure for growing company side. B2B yeah, side. Yeah. 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 That makes There's sense. There's probably a bunch of stuff in crypto world too. I don't, honestly, I don't pay any attention to that. So I have to have a different <laughs> guest to talk about. That's a smart man. Yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> Someone asked me the other day, how do you think about web three identity? And I was like, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a great conversation. I've had that conversation with a couple of people and I'd love to have your, your thoughts on that, but that's yeah, maybe next time. That's a we'll whole see. different yeah. podcast yeah. next time. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll I'm dealing with like SAML, which is like a protocol designed, you know, like 20 <laughs> years ago, it's like XML, you know, XML canonicalization. It's probably the most archaic thing you can touch. It's a total opposite of blockchain. I would have guessed more like 30 years ago. I'm not sure exactly when, but yeah, it's an ancient protocol, but it, you know, it's what's in use today. So, you know, just looking at your company name, you know, WorkOS, I'll be honest, when I first saw that and I didn't know anything about you and I looked you up, you know, it said authentication company. It took me a while to make that correlation. WorkOS is an authentication company. And that's calling you an authentication company is not fair to what you're currently doing. I get that. But when I'm first looking at you and trying to figure out what you do, that's, I saw that connection. But to me, it's really clear that you have a lot more in mind that you want to accomplish than just integrating with authentication providers. You've been on this podcast before on the Software Engineering Daily podcast, and you talked about wanting to be the modern age equivalent of Microsoft Windows was in the 90s. And that sounds like you really want to be an OS for web apps. Is that an accurate depiction? And are you still working towards that goal? Yeah, I think you need to unpack the OS word a little bit because there's a little nuance there. And, you know, I've had people say, like, you guys aren't building an OS, like expecting that we're building a, you know, a new Linux kernel or something like that. And that's true. You know, we're not building an OS in that sense. But in the sense that we're building components that are needed for every application and are kind of undifferentiated, 
that is the role of the operating system. It's these underlying pieces that every app connects to that power the core experience of every product. And today, if you're building an app using web technology, using Node and deploying to the browser and using AWS, every app you pretty much have to build from scratch. You can get open source things, but it's just this huge labor to create new experiences. And it's way harder than it used to be. You know, back when people could build on Windows, there was such a rich development environment. You could create these, these products really fast. It's super hard to do that on the web today. And I think we are working towards it. It's just kind of brick by brick. How do we build this and how do we build these pieces? A few months ago, we acquired a company called Modules, which joined WorkOS. And one of the products that Modules built, this open source project, is called Radix. And Radix is a really powerful headless UI design system builder, essentially. It's a component library for building apps. So if you're building an app, and this is used by a ton of companies today, if you're building an app and you need buttons and dropdowns and menu items, navigation, the previous world is you kind of had to build this stuff from scratch or cobble together you know, a few open source pieces, whereas Radix gives you this all out of the box. It's this whole really high-level, expressive, powerful component system that allows any company to have a full design system really quickly. And without something like this, companies are building design systems teams. Like Stripe has a whole design systems team. Airbnb has one. You know, Asana has one. And so I think we are trying to move closer to the idea of just giving developers these building blocks. Some of these will commercialize, like in the sense of our, you know, SSO authentication product. That makes a lot of sense to commercialize. It's a really kind of slam dunk in terms of the value it adds and people paying us. But for other pieces like Radix, which really we want people to be able to use when they get started, it's something we probably aren't going to commercialize. You know, it's just a component. But it's really all under that same umbrella of just helping developers build things faster and take their ideas and turn them into products and experiences really, really quickly. And that's really our whole mission at WorkOS. And that's going to be a thread that carries us through, you know, future products that we build and future services that we give to developers. So more great things to There's come. A lot so you are focused on more than just authentication. You've got a lot of tools available for developers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we got, we, yes. Yes. you know, and I kind of joke sometimes that the stuff we've built so far around SSO and directory sync and these underlying pieces, you know, in the Microsoft analogy, it's kind of like DOS. You know, if you remember Microsoft DOS, if you looked at it, you're like, oh, I don't know what's really here. But DOS laid the foundation for them building Windows 3.1 and then Windows 95, which was like extremely powerful. And a lot of that stuff ushered in things like desktop publishing. It just takes a while to get going. And so we're plodding along and staying focused on these components and really just trying to help developers, you know, grow their companies and grow their products at the same time. I love that analogy with DOS to Windows 95. That's exactly the way this feels like to me. So that's a great analogy. So thank you, Michael. You know, is there anything else you want to tell the listeners about your work OS? I guess if you're looking for these enterprise features, come sign up. I mean, you don't really need to talk to anyone at WorkOS to use this stuff. We're like a company built for developers. You can just sign up and put in your credit card and plug in and get started. We spend a lot of time on our documentation and getting started materials. It's, it's really, really easy to do it. Most people figure it out in a day or two. And then I would be remiss if I didn't plug that we're also hiring. <laughs> we are growing our team. We have a ton of stuff to build. We're like an engineering-led and engineering-focused company. So anyone listening that loves developer products and developer tools and just obsessing over developer experience, please DM me on Twitter or reach out to us. We are many, many kindred spirits just like that. Are you looking in any particular geographic area or remote as far? We are a fully remote team, actually, since even before the pandemic. So we have people in North America, nice. South America, Europe, all over. So just please reach out if you have internet and you got a laptop. <laughs>
Well, great. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate your time today talking to us. This is Michael Greenwich, CEO of WorkOS, and thank you for joining me on Software Engineering Daily. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Lee.